What is life without fear? And what is purpose if we do not continuously pursue courage? I am a man riddled with regrets, loss, and fear. And somewhere in that mix, I have found that I will, to, I will have the will to move forward, the rage to crawl back, and the people to live life a little longer for. I wish I could say it gets easier, or that this path is welcoming and warm. On the contrary, Many times I have walked it alone and plagued by mistakes, wrinkled by the winters of a battered soul as if frostbite itself manifested from my doubts. But courage, courage finds us all when the chips are down, when your heart hurts, when the world has bled for you the last time, in those moments when hands and knees have become home. Courage is what warriors follow, without question or pause. Not in the absence of fear, but in the sweet embrace of its beating, blackened heart. Oof. <sighs> Maybe we should have saved that one. We should have. <laughs> you stupid pleb Q&As. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm not kidding. What's going on, guys? This is MDLP. This is the Battle Axe Podcast, episode 39, verified by my partner. And this is going to be a Q&A episode, but we wanted to definitely introduce. We have a live studio audience today. But Woo. this could not be par- possible without my Baron of the North and super handsome podcast host, Johnny Banks. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. All of you should thank me because he was going to skip that. He was. <laughs> I was not going to do the intro. <laughs> yeah. Who am I? I made that happen. <laughs> You're welcome. Happy birthday, everyone. Thank goodness. I, yeah, exactly. All right. We're, short, we're shutting this down right now. <laughs> we love you, Dark Continent. Good night. Bye. <laughs> and uh, so we wanted to just go ahead and... We'll get this started, but first, of course, we always like to give thanks to those who have helped us in the past, now, and in the future. To Cerberus USA, thank you so much for always supplying us with uh, great gear, 10% off, and that's awesome. Use discount uh, discount code BATTLE. Code I, look at battle. me, I'm like a real fucking uh, sponsored athlete. Yeah. Um, to BV305 and bearded villains all around the world who continuously listen to our podcast, buy our products, support us, repost your guys' effort. And commitment does does not go without notice. So thank you so much. And shout out always to our 305 boys. And then lastly, to the Battle Axe Clan. Um, you guys are continue to be the living force for me, for the gym, and for many people. And the Battle Axe Gym is home now for 10 years. Mm, 10 years, yeah. huh? Yeah. Jeez, most fingers and toes, man. Like, yeah, hold on. 10 years. Yes. Yeah, right? Yes, Okay. exactly. So far, so far. <laughs> I've never been into a knife night since Nam. <laughs> Wow, man. man. How's yeah. that feel? 10 years in the game. Um, exhausting. No, I'm just <laughs> Honestly, uh, it was May 19th was the original day. Mm-hmm. And then when we celebrated it that day, it was, it was a moment of just complete and utter awe mm-hmm. because it's hard to accept self, you know, self-made concepts. And, you know, it's always going wee, wee, wee. And that day it was like, no, Mike, it was you. And despite it being a group and a gym and a culture, just to get that little bit of identity after mm-hmm. 10 years of fucking work was, you know, substantially amazing. Just like there was a line of people saying hi to me and giving me, I, emotional. It was bro. definitely yeah. a Godfather moment there. Word. Like <laughs> the day the day of my daughter's wedding, you know, so, yeah. you know, yeah. I can refuse nothing like 10 bucks. All right, I'm refusing that. <laughs> um, and John, it was, um, it was incredible. Yeah, uh, it really felt like something that had completely flipped inside of me, and it was just, 
you know, such a great reassurance that we were on the right path. And just seeing everybody there, we had the, you know, the prohibition theme and everybody on that page was just, it felt fantastic, honestly. Like life changing, like, you know, I will remember this day forever kind of concept. Does something like that rekindle the fire for you? Yes, um, absolutely. Sometimes, you know, 10 years is 10 years, man. 10 years is anything. Some days I wake up and it's exhausting. I want to stay home and, you know, the, the days get long and the gym gets hot and the people get frustrating and I get frustrated with myself or, you know, I want to venture off or rest. Or, uh, But those moments when you're shaking hands with loved ones, really, because a lot of the people there were like family to me or are like family to me in the speech and having my family there viewing something mm-hmm. that I've worked my dick off for and just the wealth of the day. Yeah. It's certainly like when you watch a competition, you're like, okay, I'm back. And I felt that, you know, obviously I still like the path that I'm on. You know, I get some days off and stuff like that. And I'll have the same vigor as I did when I was 28. But everything now is done with a little bit more purpose. Right. Because of what I felt that day. It was just like, hey, man, like, like you did it. You did something. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes you don't believe in yourself. And then you, you see days like that and you're like, okay, not so bad. And it was just incredible. I felt like you know, really focused on bigger shows, bigger projects. And it was something that I needed in a very difficult year to just kind of keep pushing, yeah. you know, and it was perfect. It was what I needed. I, like mid, a like second wind, you know, you catch it in a mid run and you're like, I still got energy to go. It's, you know, I still could some, do another 10 years. Some would shit. say miles to go. Yeah, ooh, wow. Mm. Yes. And miles to go and before miles, I yeah. sleep. Before I sleep. Um, how long did you work on that speech for? <sighs> So I wrote it in one day, mm. but I practiced it like 60 times. <laughs> and I would get, <laughs> it was an emotional speech for me because uh, actually I got more emotional practicing it because it came from my heart yeah. and it came in front of people that was, that are, they're meaningful to me. I think almost every single person that's ever meant anything to me was in that room, pretty much, you know, aside from a couple outliers, obviously I couldn't be there or travel or whatever. Yeah, sure. And when I practice speeches or, you know, speaking in general, I always try to put myself in that scenario of who I'm actually speaking in front of and how much these words mean to me. And yeah, I mean, I wrote it, I wrote part of it. Well, I had shingles on my face <laughs> like three weeks before, which was horrible. And I was stuck at home and I wrote a part of it that came to me. And then I kind of built that with little, like the way I write speeches or anytime I talk is just little examples, like one line. And that'll kind of spark the whole conversation, kind of like an outline of what it's like, hey, thank this person, thank parents, and that's it. And I know what I'm going to say. And I'll practice in my car, practice in the shower, obviously. Um, But that, and that speech was so, you know, I choked up a few times, I got emotional, and it just, that, I'll never forget that moment. And, you know, you deliver, I think a man delivers a certain amount of speeches in his life. I think spe- speaking in public, both men and women, is important. But for for me specifically, men who can speak in front of their loved ones is a, is a move. And that is one that I will never, ever, ever forget. And I kept it in my coat pocket. Which is, yeah, because that's what you do. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, it was a great time, man. I'm really glad to be able to sit in on that. Is there anything from that speech that maybe you didn't get to say that if you had an opportunity right now, you would say it? Yes, I know exactly what I, I don't want to say forgot, but I forgot. Um, and I knew exactly what I was going to say. And this is, is I hope they're listening. Um, but I was going to say, um, there are three individuals I wanted to thank. And back then I called them made men, um, even though one of them's a woman. 
And it was in my speech, so I'm not bullshitting you just because one of them's here. Mm -hmm. And these three individuals allowed me to not only have my back on a personal level, there's been many times where they carried me through personal issues, injury, loss, you know, relationship issues, heartbreak, and fucking utter I'm not doing this anymore kind of shit, carrying my back on that concept to being the reason why I would get up in the morning to see them succeed and train and watch them grow from children because we're all at one point we're kids and to grown successful men and women and you know Felipe Vinny and Vanessa I was gonna say that and I fucking (laughs) got that one part just because I wanted to thank them individually but Mm -hmm. how much they've allowed me to live my life and a lot of things behind the scene that people don't get and the man I was eight years ago the ball busting rigorous tenacious machine that i was and how hard i made him to earn that key to my gym because we didn't get a key code for nine years because i didn't trust you know technology and how much them being there opening the gym taking time off work skipping time with their family just to stay three hours to keep the gym open and lock up and making sure that when i traveled for competition when i traveled 28 weekends out of a year that they were there to open up lock up they switch schedules excel sheets missing work calling off work just to make sure the gym was keen organized for free for loyalty mm-hmm. and you know those things go without question and that being a made man and having a key to my gym is like having a key to my soul because i literally have entrusted you with my life because that gym is my life yeah and if that gym goes down like so does michael della Pava because that's you know this is me i go down with the ship and these are like my mates you know so i wanted to say that and i was just so caught up in the emotion of it i was like of fuck it's in my speech so I'll show it to you. I have the paper. It says, made men. <laughs> and, and afterwards, I was like, yeah, man. So I'll just talk to you guys later. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that was the truth because that is Deal a, later. these are columns. Yeah. You know, not everybody can carry the weight of that responsibility through not only caring for the gym, but me as a person because I am you know, fallible and full of mistakes and still having my back despite that and having the back of the people in the gym for come and go and shit on us and leave and stay and commit still being a part of that. How much that goes unseen. But people don't know the first five years for six years, how fucking hard it was to keep that place afloat. You know, now I got Shopify and fucking printing cards and all this technology, key code, automatic payment online, bro. I was collecting cash only and fucking that's it first year. So that was one thing I would if I can do it again, I would have fucking drove that part home and I kind of pissed off. But here, we have it here. So that's there okay. it is. Thank good question. So that was unplanned for. I want you motherfuckers to know that. I not I did not tell him to ask me that. Okay? All right. Okay. I had been planning that <laughs> since he told me he missed I don't know anything speech. that's coming at me tonight. And so I'm like, that's what she said. I'll get you on the podcast, motherfucker. Mm. And I'm just one of those people that sits and thinks about it every day. God, you like, just yeah, festers and piece of shit. <laughs> I just... That's who I am as a person. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, part of the thing that you had mentioned is that you were taking on different ventures. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a good time to mention uh, this upcoming show that you're helping with. Correct. And I think um, it's important for our listeners and, and people who are loyal to us to understand what's happening and right. then your involvement so they can kind of get a more clear picture. Yeah. So a lot of people have been... Um, the suspicious, uh, correctly. So, which is funny because suspicious is so funny, but, um, you know, curious and questioning, right. which is fine. Cause so was I. So my business partner, Ralph, um, and I mean that in the sense of he is really actually, this is his brainchild that I'm helping with. Yeah. 
Um, he's the one getting the sponsors, the space, the machines, and reaching out and emailing. He is a business mind. He owned a, a private military company. He owned a, a supplement company. He's been in the business forever. Um, and he's doing the thing that we hate as athletes, which is emailing, getting uh, uh, supplement companies to be there, getting sponsors, doing the business logistic businessman side of it. Yeah. Most promoters are ex-athletes. And they hate doing that because they think it's not blue collar and they're like, you know, it's stupid and annoying. I go, yeah, that's why some shows never grow. Right. You know, there's too much to do sometimes and sometimes they're too cool for school. So he put that out there. And at first I was like, look, you know, show me that you're serious. And he did. And, you know, if this show doesn't go out, he's going to be out like well over 50 grand. So. That's why I said that public and I said it to him. The suspicion of the show not happening is only going to fuck him. Like, it's not going to happen. So I wanted to tell people, once he showed, he started getting sponsors, emailing athletes, got in the Miami Expo, 30,000 square feet. This is a dream position. You're going to be walking into an expo with the Battle Axe fucking gym on there where they have the, the, the cons and the fitness expos. And I'm like, you did that? And he's like, yeah, man. I'm like, fuck, I have to learn from you because a lot of times I focus on what log and what numbers and I forget the logistics side of it. Yeah. So the show is basically a unsanctioned standalone big strongman competition. There is no other way about it. It, su it sucks in the sense that it's two days. It's hard. The weights will be comparable. It's its own weight classes. It's its own thing. Yeah. It's not strongman core. It's not USS. It's own weight classes. It's own implements are pretty much the same. It'll be up to two, uh, 200 amateur athletes, including adaptive and including pro classes for men and women. It's as simple as it gets. You know, if you, I think top 30% get to day two and you compete. There is no, and it's weird because I laugh when people are like, oh, I don't know, it seems fishy. I'm like, like, is this an, am I Robinhood app? Like, are you investing in Dogecoin? Like, you pay money, you go compete. And if you do well, you make it and get something. And if you don't, you can fuck off because you weren't strong enough. Right. And I get people's suspicions, but it makes me kind of chuckle. They're like, oh, I don't know what this is about. It's just a comp. It's just a standalone comp. Right. And, I was talking to Ralph about it. I said, the future, really, I still do. I, Miami's baddest will still go on. I'm still part of Strongman Corporation. But the future is unsanctioned shows. People are curious to, to exist and compete in something that is not uh, tied to a corporation or to a federation. It's its right. own thing. You're going to have fun. You're going to have fucking killer trophies in a fucking expo in the middle of Miami in February, indoors, and competing against and around 20-something pros from around the world. Like, Yeah. It has to happen because if not, we're fucked. So now logistically, <laughs> I'm super anxious about it. This is eight months away and I'm like, fuck. But that's what that really is. Ragnarok, obviously, he's uh, rough, super nerdy like me. We're into like Vikings and comic books and stuff like that. So he ran with it, which I think is cool. Yeah. But he's provided all the medals and all that stuff. And I think that's that's pretty cool. I think people can kind of rest at ease that we're working our hardest to put on something big in the South. Right. And as a battle axe gym, I want to be part of the biggest powerlifting and biggest strongman competitions in the fucking South and some of the best. Mm. And that's where I go. That's where my ambition is. And I found somebody who's as eager with the sport and to promote and to put on big shows, not only for logistics and money, because obviously we all want to make money here, but like really cool shit. Yeah. You know, I mean, cool trophies, cool nerdy stuff that we all love. So that's what that's about. And like, I want, I was going to do a Q and A is like, Hey, this isn't really like anything weird. Like, you know, yeah. this, we're not going to take your money and run because we can't. <laughs> right. This Things, is fire fest. Yeah, asshole. We, I think the whole expo was thousands of dollars. Like we have to fucking be here. Yeah. You know, so I told people like, I understand why you're suspicious, but 
you know, chill. Like it's, I'm yeah. not taking your money and running, you know. My man, you train in a dark alley at 2 a.m. Like, <laughs> yeah. I should be worried about you coming. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm worried about you actually making it and then canceling the last minute so I got to fill your fucking spot. That's what I should be suspicious of you. Uh, well, I think that that should settle a little bit of the... Yeah, you know, come and fucking compete and have a good time, dude. We're trying to make this big. We have people from 27 different countries, man. We're taking a big leap. Yes, I am nervous. Yes, I am scared. But all big things take that. It takes courage and it takes your skin in the game. And I just recently talked about this when I saw other people's competitions. Like, people that point the finger have never done shit. Yeah. You know, oh, this is going to be this. Okay, well, then you put on the show. Oh, but if I did, I go, then do it. It takes, like, balls and commitment and fear and there's going to be mistakes and there's going to be things we learn year one but i'm hoping to carry this into many many years of cool shit and it's, it's going to be all over the place it's funny that everyone will tell you what they would have done yeah but then never do their own show you know how hard is your own fucking show it's super stressful ask anybody bro i want no part of it absolutely not I, i'd rather be competing in this show than putting it on trust me the stress is yeah terrible i know i i wanted to do it actually yeah i won't be here where you be? I'll be in actually Hawaii. Oh, this fucking guy, bro. I know. So I want a work trip. Because you're good at your job. Fucking oh, okay. Man. He's all right. Nearly I'm a million dollars a month. <laughs> Whatever. Just another casual Tuesday. <laughs> um, but uh, so it's kind of funny how that happened because we did this thing with we were signing people up for another thing, and um, you know. The OGs in the game, what they do is they look at everybody's numbers and then the last day they call in 50 favors, you know? Of course. Right? Like, hey, I need uh, 10 signups. Come on. Yeah. And boom, you look at the guy and he's got 30 people on. Smart. So I would just, I was just doing my thing and I got 12 signups. Right. Right. It was a big deal. Right. I get 12. That week, there's, they don't say anything. I'm like, all right, well, the, the first guy who, the first week winner was 25 signups. I'm like, 12 ain't doing shit. They don't say anything about the second week. Third week, guy does 40 signups. They double back and they're like, oh, yeah, we forgot to announce the week two winner. And I got, I was the only one with signups that week. So, Whoa. and then the, the next week after that, someone had 50. <laughs> so you got the right time. <laughs> yeah, I just hey, fucking fuck. stole that shit. <laughs> they must bro. be so mad. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, send them pictures from Hawaii, bro. bro fucking sick. nerd. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, the original trip was supposed to be this year, and it was actually supposed to go to like Russia. Oh, oh I know. Well, I know. It's some of our times. Yeah. But I was like, that I want to cool. wrestle a bear. Yeah. You are the bear. I am the, the bear. The bear wrestles you. That's it. That's what I did there. <laughs> flirting on, on microphone over here <laughs> fucking guy but uh apparently so it works out pretty cool because my wife has tra she traveled a lot when she was young and the only state she hasn't been to is why oh fuck cool damn bucket list shit yeah oh, so yeah. i feel even better about it yeah congrats bro. i did this for you not you. Rico, and the only thing you do is miss ragnarok game so yeah whatever yeah but cool i know but i'll be home for miami's better finally mm. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, while we're in the topic yes. of strongman, Oof. Tanya sent us, a, sent us a message. And uh, one of the things that she asks is, what can athletes and supporters do to help the Florida strength community grow? Okay, so this is a loaded question. Um, first of all, I think walking the walk is important. I think a lot of people are, and I don't mean this to be rudely, you know, if you don't you never put your skin in the game as far as an athlete or being involved or, you know, picking up plates and fucking getting involved in the community. 
you know, I think you should ask, focus on that first. I think that's a big deal to learn the sport, learn the people in your sport, who's doing what, helping others, and then your, your product and yourself as an athlete has more value. And then now, because there's a fucking show every goddamn month, and I don't mean that rudely, but there fucking is, you're wondering, like, who's this guy? Yeah. Who are these people? Like, where have they been? And do they know who this guy is? Do they know the history? Do they know the OGs? And in fact, and, and I'm going to say this right on fucking air, they don't. They don't. They put on shows like they're the first ones to do so. They don't ask around. They don't. When I put on my first show, I'm like, whose show is when? when? I'm not stepping on toes, you know. No, it doesn't matter. Middle of the month, it doesn't, you know. I'm like, man, you know, they, it goes to show you, maybe you should ask people in the community. You all know who the big hitters are. Yeah. And it's not like everyone's like, oh, you're stealing my money. It's more about let's build something so we all work together for the betterment of the community. So Communication. Make money. Right. Make money and communicate and, and don't bullshit me. Oh, I'm doing this for the sport. Shut the fuck up. You're making a $4,000 payday and $100 fucking tickets and you sell 50. I know it's about the money. It's also about the community. Of course, let's be real, but let's communicate. Right. Put some skin in the game. Like, who are you? Have you been to shows? Do you go to anyone else's show and help? And there are some good guys out there. There yeah. really are some good guys out there that are good guys and girls that are putting on stuff and, and being involved and have been involved in athletes and help out in the charities. But yeah. I think that people are rushing to put on certain things when they need to do a little bit more, at least in the state of Florida or, you know, just talk, man. A lot of communicate between promoters and athletes. There needs to be more. And I would say that if you really want the, the sport to grow, do it genuinely. Mm-hmm. But be honest. You know, like, hey, I love Miami's baddest, but I also like making a little bit of money. Like, let's be real. This is why I charge this much. I'm very, I've always been super transparent with what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit more transparency, a little bit more commitment to the roots of the sport, a little bit more communication, and be involved from head to toe, from loading plates to running your own fucking company. And I'll, I'll stick to that in every aspect because the sport is just more than competing. You know, there's a lot to it, and people need to fucking back that up with just more than just Instagram posts. <laughs> yeah, just because you... Uh you like doing those sports and make you capable of running a show. All right, let me look through these because. So let's keep it. We'll keep it a strong man based. Yeah, we got a few of those. Um. We? Yeah. So I don't think I've like got to officially meet this guy, but I know he's one of your athletes. Kissed by Stone. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes I don't know their fucking Instagram. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Mo. Uh. Mo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mo. Yeah. Um, what other sports or strength disciplines contribute to a better performance in strongman? Hmm. Um, I always say that the person has good muscle mastery and general athleticism. So this can go to in a lot of ways. I think gymnasts and martial artists will always make the best athletes. Mm. I think ideally they can adapt to anything quickly and very and fast, and they can really get after it. So first and foremost, I'll say somebody like that, like a martial artist. But if you're talking about not only adaptation, but the learning curve and also being quick on movements, I know people are going to get grumpy on me, but CrossFit athletes make the best strongman. I was just going to say that. Like, I know, like, ah, CrossFit, I'm like, fuck you, these guys are pretty crazy. Even the average CrossFitter will make a strong transition, an easier transition into strongman than any other discipline, Uh, more than powerlifters. Way easier. And I would put a weightlifter right under them um, um, yep. because of the movements. There's the, the deadlift, the front squat, the clean and press, the jerk, the snatch, these triple extension motions, at least for the stationary uh, movement, is exceptional. Plus, the general athleticism technique and neural like demand of weightlifting, 
correlates quickly into moving events. You know, the weightlifters are very athletic and getting my ass beat weekly with doing these powers. That just <laughs> fucking, it's like a rhino and a tutu. I'm like, God dang, like these guys do this shit. And then I'm done and they're like, okay, max squats. I'm like, Ah, uh, you know, my bank account closes at 7 p.m. I'm like, are you still going? Like, I'm exhausted. And I rip on them all the time. I mean, you guys have no fucking cardio. And there I am, like, with my fucking banta out <laughs> and shit. But um, I think that. I think that generally CrossFitters would make a great sport and transition. And if I was a strong man first and this was my first sport, I would focus on sports like weightlifting and then the general fitness of anything. You can put GPP involved in anything, obviously, because strong man already includes powerlifting. We squat, bench, deadlift every week. It's the base of our sport. Um, but when I say, like, I think sports like weightlifting and cro and CrossFit have very, you know, movement, running, turning, throwing, jumping, biking, these kind of things just make you generally athletic. And I've made the mistake of letting go of my athleticism for a couple of years, and it cost me more than anything. Mm. So I would, as a strong man, I would definitely probably venture. And I remember, I'm not saying try to do a fucking full snatch. Certain movements like the power snatch, maybe power cleans, push jerk, split jerk push press these motions that are specific to your sport so you take a sport and you dissect it for what's you know viable in your life like bruce lee would say and you make it your own just like in crossfit should a strong man be running a 5k no but should he be doing row sprints and learning kettlebell swings and learning how to fucking do certain motions yeah so you're doing sled pushes so you want to puke yes you know that's you know whatever you want to call that but um as far as transition, yeah, I think I would pick a CrossFitter or anybody. Yeah, bro, you want to suffer? Go into any CrossFit and look for a four-minute wad. Yeah. Get fucked. fucked. Yeah. Sykes on you, <laughs> dick. Yeah. Um, He did have a couple more questions, so I think I just want to keep it. We'll keep the straw man thing going. Yeah, he's new, so he's full of them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is, and he knew this is the only way you'd actually Yeah, yeah, he's the only thing to pay attention to him. At the gym, I'm like, fuck off. Come Back on, of the bus, nerd. Yeah. <laughs> green. Um. Hmm. Let's go with this one next. I shouldn't have done it this way. What should I be eating during competition? Uh, strong okay. man. I would keep it strong man. Yeah, I would say it depends, as in every question. You want to know where your macros are at. You want to know which ones you respond to, what uh, sensitivity you have to certain foods. You know, some people can eat sandwiches and bread and be fine and chicken and pasta. And some people don't respond well because they're nervous or they're anxious or there's a lot of moving events or max effort. Like, should you eat chicken and rice before 60 seconds of deadlifts? No, you're going to shit your pants or puke and you'll be those motherfuckers on a TikTok somewhere. <laughs> but it all depends. Where do you break down the insulin or glucose best? When do you get your protein? For me personally, because I'm anxious, because I'm driven, I like to keep myself light. So I drink my sugars and I drink my protein. I have, and this is something Paul O'Neill showed me. I have my pr protein powder. I drink baby rice, which is easily dissolves in water, and I shake that up. I put like 40 grams of protein and like 50 grams of carbs, and I drink three shakes, four shakes in between each and every single event. If I go into a high glycemic demand, like max uh, max reps, I might pop some Skittles before the, cheek, the glucose and spike that up and use it, or after when I feel like basically dying. But for the most part, I want to be digesting my protein and glucose as quickly as possible, but mostly what works for me. I'm older now, and I don't digest rice and bread and shit like I used to. My insulin response is different. So I can't have the fucking Uncrustable anymore. I literally feel like it just balloons me up, and I feel like dog shit when I'm trying to move a 700-pound yolk. I don't feel good. Right. I drink it right when my event is done. I go for a little five-minute walk and you know, kind of clear my mind, and I keep myself fueled. I think what's more important 
almost more important than food is hydration. Um, I think a lot of people will start drinking a lot early and they're all in their stupid gallon. And by the third event and the fourth event, whether you're doing good or bad, you start to let go of the fundamentals, which is getting your gallon that's full of creatine, sodium, EAAs, salt, especially salt, and keeping that in there. So besides food, I would focus, especially in Miami and Florida, get your hydration together and stuff like that. But it all depends on the lifter. But typically drinking my shit has always been the best the best for me. Yeah. All right, fair enough. Yeah, look at me. Look at you. It's like talking you know what nutrition. You're talking about. Yeah, whatever. I'm like a chef. Just a just a doctor's response. No big. There's an MD. <laughs> it's in the name. Yeah. If you pay attention. Oh. The dad joke by me. I'm I'm built no, for this. Super, yeah, you're super dad. You made the guy that was helping us before here feel uncomfortable. Like you're already getting dad things. Like, oh, that's your name, huh? Does that rhyme <laughs> with Bell? Like, like Blondell? Like, I'm like Jesus yeah. Christ, John. But it's not. This be- guy's name was Blondell, and he goes blonde like. The blonde hair. I'm like, oh my god, are you 48 in Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, you're killing yeah, me. I, I got, I started to sweat, and you know me, right? you know my anxiety. Look, I have the pit stains <laughs> have not recovered from that. It's not from the, from the show. It's from this, and not these fucking lights. Oh, it's not. Well, first of all, the light titties are the best. Yeah, um, nice. it doesn't. But I, that's not a cognitive thing. It just yeah, it's just your natural dad pores. I have my dad's shoes on. So. Comes out of you. I'm wearing Brooks yeah. now. I haven't uh, I haven't put shoes on in a long time. I don't okay. even know what they're like. I wear sandals to everything. No shit. Yeah. yeah. It's innate. I can't help it. Part of my DNA at this point. Uh, so uh, our buddy, where was it? Uh, Christian had some stuff about being a beginner strongman. I want to find that. <laughs> and screenshots. Terrible decision by me. Yeah, very sorry. bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's You should be. Sometimes I make mistakes. 39 shows, biggest mistake. <laughs> I mean, we lost an entire episode, so. Uh, the mental and emotional, mm, that's not it. That's not the question I want. Let's go with it anyway since I started it. The mental and emotional and psycho- psychological process of injury. What did you go through from inception of injury to full recovery? <laughs> so... I got a few questions on injury, which is interesting to me. We did an episode called Pain. I'm not trying to self-promote, but that, that was a good one. With the physical and physiological you know, results of having chronic pain and injury. And originally, in, um, when you first get hurt, um, I think it's important to understand that eventually a lot of it becomes psychosomatic too, even when you recover. So when you're going through pain, whether it's physical or mental, and typically physical injury eventually results in mental injuries and mental uh, capability changes, I think it's super fucking important to be patient and to be injured. I wrote this in an article a long time ago. It's like when you get hurt, it's important to just be hurt for a little while and to build and use that moment to build yourself. And I think a lot of this, this time transcends into life. When something difficult is happening or you're hurt, you're supposed to sit in the hurt. You try to escape it as quick as possible because it's drowning. You try to find these activities that are not you to get out of it, for example. And this is just life in general. When somebody gets hurt, they pick up bodybuilding or they want to, you know, doing cardio. I'm like, that's not really who you are. You're just trying to escape the fact that you're hurt. You know, if your knee hurts, you suddenly, oh, I want to swim. Like, okay, it's good to swim, but you're just staying busy to avoid the fact that you're injured. And what you need to do really is to identify the injury and what mental and physical habits got you there in the first place. And I think that's important to use that same concept in life. When you're 
injured in life, your first thing you want to do is do things that are not yourself. You want to avoid the scenario. I do this all the fucking time, especially when I'm stressed. I'm like, oh, I'm going to start, you know, writing in a journal. Man, pff, I haven't written in a journal since I was a fucking child. That's me trying to escape. If I want to write in the journal, it's because I want to write in the fucking journal. Because yeah. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And that's something I do when I got hurt. I said, oh, a lot of guys hurt themselves. Like, I'm going to do bodybuilding. Careful. You're running away from the issue and you're not fixing it in the first place. So that also builds long-term capabilities. You know, you're getting smarter. You're building capacity. You focus on things that you would do. Nutri nutrition, the psychology and perspective of being hurt, where you're going forward if you really want to stay in the sport and how you're going to stay in longevity. And, of course, communication. So I would tell people that the most important part of being hurt and overcoming it, it's accepting the hurt, sitting with it, why you're hurt in the first place, and then building real-life capabilities for sport, whatever sport it is you want to do that's going to carry you on long term and not distracting yourself from the issue at hand. And sure. I think that, you know, goes without saying to other aspects of life. Wow. That was good. Wow. Yeah. You would have thought I wrote that shit down first. I don't. <laughs> I don't even true. know what those questions are looking like. No, you really don't. Yeah, I don't. And it's, they, the questions are like so, they're in so many different directions. Right. They're fucking good. But some of them are like, What's your favorite Happy Meal? I'm like, fuck. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah. And the I other one's like, yeah. do you understand pi mathematically? I'm like, fuck. 3.14? Tell me about a time where you died emotionally. <laughs> this morning. All the time. <laughs> Literally every second of every day. Uh, so um, I was looking for the new sh uh, strongman competitor, and I thought it was Christian who asked it, but it was actually Belinda Bollinger. Oh, yeah. I hope She's I new said to the that gym, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, completely new to strongman, registered for my first competition. I have a million questions. How do I get started? What are some good initial steps to take? I think they kind of blend together. Mm -hmm. What resources do I need to be successful in competition preparation and competitive at competition? So uh, I, and the reason why I'm answering this relatively quickly is because I've gotten this a lot. Your number one resource, which she did, is to reach out to a real strongman gym and get involved in some sort of strongman group. I'll often say, and most people do, like Louis Simmons said, that a, a training group sometimes is more valuable than an actual coach or any capacity. A good group and a good group of people around you in a great gym is probably life-changing. You're going to learn a lot of values from the people around you, and it's important to have a coach. I always say that, but I would argue that if you have a group to belong to, you're going to grow you know, significantly. Mm. Find the group, ask questions, you know, be involved. It does take work to find any niche. You know, If you're in a particular niche, you're going to have to ask questions. So... Finding the gym, getting involved, going to strongman groups, you know, even if you have to fucking travel. How many people travel an hour or two just to train? Mm -hmm. That's part of the hustle. That will build more value than you thinking you're going to be able to buy all the implements on your own. You're not. A log is 600 bucks. Good fucking luck. You're going to buy one thing, two things, get bored, and you're going to quit, especially when it starts to hurt. So you surround yourself with that. You know, start being active. Ask questions. Go to competitions. You know, being, start loading plates. Hey, you go to a comp, you're like, hey, do you guys need any help? Learn what it is to score and start building value with the people that have been in sport for a very long time. There's something to be said about an old man and a young man's sport. I say that constantly. They might have some lessons to give you and women as well. You know, it's something to be said. And those are the number one things because the more you love the sport, the more competitive you're going to get. The more you'll seek to be better at something you love because when you love something, you just want to be the best at it. And that, again, constantly will be indicative of everything in life today. It's like... The more you adhere to something consistently, the more you're going to love it, the more you're going to compete for it to be pushed forward. And that com commands and demands commitment, both in and outside of the sport, which correlates to the first question we had. Be involved. Communicate. Put your skin in the game. Start from the bottom. Competing is selfish. 
It's mm. easy. It's easy to train. Everyone's like, oh, it's hard. It's not. It's a gift. You're so lucky to go to a fucking gym and lift thousands of dollars worth of equipment and then go home and have a steak dinner in your air-conditioned house watching Netflix. That's easy. Waking up early for somebody else, that sucks. Loading their plates, helping their food, picking up when they're down, driving four hours just to load plates from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. in the sun, that sucks. Asking questions and looking stupid, that's hard. Going, hey, guys, I don't know how to do this. That's difficult. Yeah. And that adheres yourself to that sport. And that will drive you much more than sitting down on YouTube and watching people you'll never fucking meet. <laughs> yeah, because there's a lot of that for sure. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, yeah, and I love Big Z and I love Big Shaw, but really the guy down the street is probably going to help you more, 10 times more than what you see on YouTube. I'm not saying yeah. don't watch YouTube, but that's They're the not going to see your DM guy. Yeah, well, unfortunately. unless you're me, and then Big Z writes you a message and stuff. Oh, yeah, that was... <laughs> yeah, whatever. What a moment. Yeah. Thank you. I think Austin did that shit. <laughs> yeah. I was like... Wow, instant erection. I was like, what are you doing? I was what? like, is it okay to get erect right now? <laughs> Too late, I've already finished. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that's pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I'll add to that because I think it's important too. Like, in your area, like, strongman groups are pretty approachable. Yeah. Yeah, so it's like, go and yeah. reach out. You'll find that you're usually it's the same groups changing together all the time. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, um. Alex the Bear says, nice. asks, Chicago, you have a background in so many sports as a competitor and coach. Mm. What are your personal thoughts on warm-ups, the length of warm-ups, general or more specific warm-ups, intensity, complexity, are you looking to be fatigued, etc.? cetera? Uh, good question, Alex. Uh, miss you too, buddy. He's a good buddy of mine. Moved up north, Alex Bearstrong. Which he got, he got uh, sued by the Chicago Bears, by the way. Crazy story. Yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> He'll tell it to you in person. Yeah, it's crazy because he ha he put Bear Strong on his shirt. They're like, nah, chill. And he's like, fuck. Cease and desist. Lawyer shit. You know what I mean? Wow. We know I have one on retainer, so they know. Um, it all depends. Like, I, I always answer that question. It depends on the athlete, the demand of the sport, the physicality, mobility, and, you know, imbalances of each athlete individually. Mm -hmm. Obviously, an older athlete might take longer to activate and get warmed up. And then a younger athlete might be able to do it a little bit faster. I think we can start off by communicating the semantics of what these words mean. And technically right now, the general jargon understanding is that activation is something that, you know, it starts to turn on muscles that you're going to use. And then warming up is the actual movement at lighter weights. And then the actual workout is when you're at your working sets. Um, and then, you know, post stuff like that. But if you really consider it, activations are going to be lock lats, single leg RDLs, TKE, something that's turning on a specific kinetic chain or muscle that you need to use for the day that's either not as active or not listening to you or you're going to, you're going to need. Obviously, if you're doing bench, you're not going to warm up on a single leg RDL, but it's important to get the hips and stuff like that in the posterior chain. And then you actually get on the barbell. That's your warm-up. Yeah. Where you do 10 on the empty bar, and then you have your actual workout, which is, let's say, it's five sets of three at 80%. That's your actual movement. I think it all depends on the lifter. If the lifter is fit and it's a, a very specific day, a longer warm-up might be a little bit more more viable. If they're older or it's hot or it's going to be max effort, you're not really going to have the longest activation series because you're going to pre-fatigue the muscles too much to be active during what's really necessary. So it all depends on the lifter. It all depends on the sport. You know, you're going to have a lot more dynamic stretching and jumping and turning for sports like rugby and football and basketball. They're going to be probably absent of any weight because their actual warm-up is with the ball and their actual activations might be like a little bit more, um, you know, uh, 
sidestepping, skips, jumps, turning, you know, broad jumps, high knees. Um, and then when you come to strength sports, you got to remember you're looking for maximal muscle use. So you want to turn those muscles on and not pre-fatigue that person by doing too much cardio. So it all really, really depends. Each sport has their individuality, but then, of course, each lifter has their demands. So, Wow. Man, I love these Q&As. Almost a doctor. We're technically oh. going to charge by the hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he also had a follow-up question, which is like kind of breaks it up a little bit. But he, he actually asked about, um, do you know who the Liver King is? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Love so um, he says, uh, not sure if you're up on all the Liver King stuff, but recently he's been getting dragged by other Instagram fitness influencers. What are your thoughts, if you have any at all? Uh, good question. Um, I, I really think he's really super entertaining. He's also not dumb. Um, a, on a business scale, and a, a, on a general understanding of, like, you know, biochemistry and stuff like that. I take that stuff with a grain of salt. I see a fantastic businessman who's found a great niche and has completely exploded it to be making a million dollars. Um, does some of the information he say have no viability in science and are not peer-reviewed? Yes. Is this a problem? And to some extent, yes. Uh, but I also think that it has to kind of express to the viewer to get educated. You know, if you're falling for this or you're not really backing up your your skepticism by trying to get concept of it and listening to actual nutritional, you know, peer-reviewed studies and actual scientists and you're buying the product blindly, I think that speaks more for you than the actual liver king. You know, if you buy a car that says for sale and you take as is, and then you're bitching that the engine falls out, whose fault is it? Mm-hmm. And that's when I see people on Instagram and I don't like it. You know, personally, there's some things I'm like, come on, man. Like, oh, if you eat cartilage, you're going to repair cartilage. Like, that's bullshit. And you'll say, oh, there's tons of studies. Actually, there's not. There's not one single peer. BioLane did a whole talk on it. Not a single study that says if you eat a heart, your heart will get stronger. Please, dog. With all the shit I put in my body, I'd be eating Carhartt every day in my fucking life. How about a liver, motherfucker? Like, I would love that, but here we are. Or guts, because mine should suck. So that bothers me that you start to kind of exploit to the ignorance of people. That's called business. Mm-hmm. And what I see is a great fucking ripped businessman um, kind of using the system. Now, I don't think, I think a lot of the things he does say is pretty okay. You know, the primal concepts of, you know, grounding or being outside or running out and picking up some rocks. I mean, why not? You know, getting strong, being fit, having courage, being strong, hunting, fishing. Great concepts. And he's made that into a business plan. But you won't see me like promoting him or bringing him to my gym. Like you have to make yourself as a consumer smart enough to A, know what he's trying to say. B, that you don't have to necessarily support it. And C, to inform others when you can and in your position to be like, hey, you know, that's not really true. You know, he'll get some truth Mm. and then run with it. Um, But I don't really have, I used to, maybe five, ten years ago, I would hear more like, fuck that guy. or Yeah. But, you know, when you're in this business concept, I think there's a lot of worse people putting out worse information. And I'm not saying that there's a lesser evil, to quote The Witcher. But um, I think it's important to kind of, you know, relax. Right. Chill. This guy's not worse than other things out there. You know what I mean? And identify, get educated, take what you can from the information that's being given to you and make it your own like anything else. Um, and I think he's super entertaining. <laughs> I don't care. Like I've seen, the, I watching him talk, he's like primals. I'm like, hey man, what's up? Like I'll throw a spear right now if I had a fucking 500,000, 500 acre fucking 
farm like he does. Yeah, right. Um, but take the value from it, man. And and you don't have, if you don't like him, don't follow him. Don't buy his products and and continuously go on your thing. And if you want, you can build your business bashing people like every other fucking tool on Instagram. Yeah. Or you can be smart enough and build your fucking seven figure empire. But you know that's hard. Yeah. It's really easy to build your business on Instagram, pointing the finger and saying how stupid people are, but you're making two figures a fucking year on your stupid shitty products. Like, shut up. Oh, but I don't produce his lies. I bet you will if you can make a million. Yeah, I will lie right now uh, for $7. Absolutely. I'll be like, Trent? Trent is amazing. I've never what? had any side effects. Ching, Like, <laughs> fucking retire my mom in two days? Fuck you. I'll do anything you want. Yeah. Get out of here. Heroin? Everyone what a pre-workout. Price. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fuck out of here. Yeah, I mean, really, that's what I think that's really where we've come is like, so many people are scared to uh, take ownership of like their their duty to like figure it out. Do you believe it? Okay, well, do your research, dog. Like, it's yeah. not that hard. Google even has like you can look at the peer review stuff. Yeah. There's like a whole section of Google for that. Make a stance. That's fine, and it's okay to say among circles, "Hey, you know, I don't like this guy." Yeah, good for you, um, but don't build your business on fucking pointing the finger on somebody else. Do yeah. something for yourself. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of that. And I think that's just as hypocritical as somebody putting out fake information. <laughs> um, so we're bouncing around just because, uh, again, I formatted this really stupidly. Because <laughs> it's the sandals. What have I done, man? I wear sandals to every podcast, just so you know. <laughs> I know you every do. Every single one. I got to let the dogs breathe, dog. Yeah. You know fucking Great Danes, you call feet <laughs> fucking two yachts on the floor. They're here. just some twelves. <laughs> Damn, I keep them clean. Man. Keep clean. <laughs> so, um, it was it Yessi that sent this one? No, who sent the meditation one? Uh, Brit. Brit. Yeah. Okay. So she asks, "What is your meditation routine?" Um, Before you start, <laughs> yeah, there's an excellent episode called Meditations. Yeah, exactly. Meditations and the one about rebel mindfulness. Rebel mindfulness. Oof. Correct. Wow, I love how we can self promote. That's it. Yeah. Also, if you eat liver every day, you get strong. Um, Michael King said that. That's crazy. We'll post uh, our cash out. <laughs> so, okay, admittedly, I have not been meditating as much as of late. I do believe in meditation, the fact of MBSR, Mindful Body Stress Reduction Meditation, which is the science of meditation um, or the neurology that it develops and all that stuff and your consciousness and your ability to focus. Like, There's actual studies on it. I like that. I'm not here to... You know, discriminate against or put down any other form of medic of meditation because for the most part it just seems to better people. Um, and again, you know, there's a lot of people preaching that a stone will make you a better fucking meditator. You know, that's like liver king shit. Good for you, whatever. In my Only if you charge it right <laughs> with the sun, and I don't admittedly do it as much as I should. All right, but the meditation also has a lot of concepts to it. There is such thing as mindful practice, and this is something that I learned from Lucas Irwin, who's on our Rebel Mindfulness podcast. You may not have to sit down for 5, 10, 15, 30 minutes, but you can still practice mindfulness, meaning be in the moment and presence, and how to kind of de-escalate things in your mind to view things objectively. You know, like I always give this example, is that when somebody crosses you, you know, cuts your path in driving, yeah. your first thing to fuck you, motherfucker, and you have like the next 15, 20 minutes of just anger. Blood pressure goes up and you're creating a fake scenario with somebody who doesn't know anything. <laughs> they didn't even doesn't even care about you. And you're there festering over somebody who's going to go have the rest of the day. And you will talk about this for the next two, three days. And if you add up, that's probably 40, 50 minutes of your time that you just give into nothing. <laughs> right. 
And a good mindful practice, which is a, a, the foundation of meditation, is to you know create a scenario. And this is part of Stoicism, Marcus Aurelius, is to give a person that, that benefit of the doubt by creating a scenario for them so you're unbothered. Oh, they cut me off because they're on the way to the hospital to see a family member or they're in the middle of an emergency. Mm. And that typically de-escalates things. You're like, okay. you know. And I say that. I'm like, oh, man, they're probably in a rush because they're on the way to the hospital. And these are mindful practice. So I would say I do more mindful practice than meditation. And I think a lot of people meditate and don't do anything mindfully. That's the general practice because it's really cool to meditate, but you don't practice mindfulness. And that's weird to me. That's mm. kind of like training for 20 minutes, but not working out. Or warming up for half an hour and then leaving before you touch the barbell. Because the real work is in mindful practice. Do you put down the phone when you speak to people? Do you actually listen to them or are you waiting for your turn to talk? Do you judge your thoughts? Are you constantly beating yourself up? Can you think of an idea and look at it objectively? Or you're like, oh, I'm so stupid for thinking that. Or I'm a bad person. That's mindful practice. And I think that's very valuable. And you develop that through meditation. So no, I don't think I do enough of each, although I do do a lot of mindful practice because it's helped bring down my blood pressure. But mostly my outlook and my perspective on things has changed drastically since I started practicing in 2017. But one thing I do do, and one thing that has some value for me, and this is when I, I, I talked to my, um, when I talked to Lucas about that, and I talked to my people, is that I do a minute of meditation as my car warms up. Somebody gave me this idea in one of the groups, and they're, as my car is warming up, most new cars don't have to warm up anymore. Mine are old, and they do take the minute or two. That's my moment in the day where I give myself a warm-up for the day mentally. I sit down, and I practice either a meditation of breath or a meditation of sound, which is some of my favorite, or body awareness. For 90 seconds to two minutes, I just meditate as the car warms up. Sometimes I try to hear what the car sounds like or what my body sounds like or my breath. And then as the car warms up, I warm up. And I have a little moment of bliss. Even if it's two minutes, you're still practicing or you're learning to control your breath, to view your thoughts. Some mornings you have a thousand thoughts. Sometimes you have two. And I think that's also very valuable for, for me because at least I still have the effort or the process of meditation in my mind. And then the rest of the day, I try to practice mindful practice, which again is really the building box of meditation. And I think we should focus on both. Hmm. Damn, that was good. That's good. So we got some two-part questions coming in, and uh, our friend Bjorn. Oh, nice from England. Yeah, uh, he asks, "How do you both manage yourselves, knowing that others, men in particular, look to you for guidance and mentorship?" So what I'll do, um, all right. So let's have you go first, and then I'll go. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think we're both going to come from a place of guilt and self-loathing. So here we go. I start first. <laughs> um, you won't outguilt me. <laughs> next 40 minutes of pure guilt. Um, I'll start off by saying that I never particularly saw myself in this scenario. I say this every episode. I always looked up to the anti-heroes, the lone wolves, you know, the wolverines, the, you know, you can't take me, bub. And I thought that was the kind of say all be all. I thought that was pure masculinity and toughness. And as I got older, and I kind of like viewed my perspective on masculinity and leadership and change and just being a presence. I realized that a lot of that comes from selflessness. And I viewing that concept because of the position I've been in, I've been able to identify and be more honest with myself when somebody says that they're looking up to me or that I mentor them. Because for the most part, that makes me want to puke in my mouth. I'm like, oh, bro, I'm not the guy, you know, but. It also comes with the, not fake it till you make it, but not accepting that from the person is like insulting them. 
Because the person that they're being vulnerable to and looking up to is now dismissing them for being dumb or ridiculous. And it's not fair. Maybe they're not looking up to you in everything that you are, but you're certainly, they look up to you in everything that you make them feel. And that is important to identify that no matter where you come from in life, whether it's trash or scumbaggery or bridge or whatever, that certain things you do in life will inspire others because of what you make them feel and the ideas that you've been in them, like conceptually, like in their brain. And that's something to admire and to respect in yourself and to be able to adhere and protect. So when somebody says to me, Mike, you know, I look up to you. Initially, I was like, well, well that's dumb. You know, I'm full of this and that. But it's because of the mistakes that maybe that's what they want. Because of the things that I've done in my life to fail so tremendously and come back from. And I'm okay with that. I realized that maybe it's not that people look up to how good I am, but maybe it's because I don't fucking quit. And I've identified that as my strength. And, you know, <laughs> I'm fucking ripped myself a new asshole enough for me to insult myself when somebody's trying to look up to me. And if I'm preaching purpose and legacy and respect and I'm shutting other people out, I'm hypocrite. And then I'm quitting on them. Mm. And that is not okay with me. And to use that energy to keep going in life and then shut it out when it has to come to being, you know, identified to myself is bullshit. And I've come to that realization much later in my life. And like I said, 10 year anniversary was like a fucking incredible smack in the face and in a good way that I need to accept that I am a man with folly and great regret and a lot of mistakes in my life. And that's why people actually look up to me and that's okay. You know, you don't always have to look up to heroes with shining armor. It's battered and shattered shields that catch our attention. And if I can admit to you, my friend, John, that you inspire me and that I love you and that you changed my life, would I shut you out for telling me that? What kind of man would do that if I'm not leading by the, at least that example? Mm. That it's not your virtues that I love all the time. It's your ability to keep chasing them. And that's everything to me. I should have fucking went first. <laughs> Piece of shit. Uh, so I would say that for the longest time for me, it was a matter of, uh, when people would come to me with like, Hey, you're a leader to me or someone I look up to a mentor. My first reaction wasn't as much dismissive as it was a feeling of overwhelming, undeserving. Um, it was very difficult, uh, to think about the responsibility of, of having to look out for someone when I couldn't really look out for myself. I really struggled with that. Um, it took me a long time to figure out um, that people looked up to me because I was more relatable. It's easier to follow someone's leadership or let them mentor you when you have the similar struggles. And as I got better at understanding that, I'm still not great at it, but as I got better at understanding my responsibility um, in holding myself a little bit higher than I normally would, it became easier to, to accept the responsibility of leadership and mentorship uh, to have people say those things to you, which is still like pretty wild to me, but thankfully it still happens. So I've grown a lot in terms of like accepting the duty of 
being a leader, you know, being a mentor. Um, most importantly, I think that people are drawn to me because I am an always try guy. So the conversation I have with my wife very often because I'm not, I'm not a very romantic person. I uh, don't always articulate the way I feel very well. A lot of times I'm very uh, like a shit storm of words and I just kind of put it. Right. Uh, and what she realizes about me, especially as a leader in the house, because I make a lot of mistakes is that my effort is always the best effort I can give in that day. Uh, and I think that's why people identify with me more as a leader is because they know I don't got it, but they know I got my ass up and I tried anyways. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and, and, and that's kind of where I've learned to accept this. It's and it's super difficult to accept that because it's still <laughs> praise. So praise bad. makes my mouth look like shit. But it's, here a, we are. it's tough, man. And there's a difference between praise and attention. Yeah. You know, I love attention, but don't give me your praise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. Are you lying to me? Like, do you want my Robin Hood account? Like, you know, and it's just this fucking childhood trauma. I'm like, what? I have a hundred dollars that is now seven dollars. <laughs> yeah. You're into that. Uh, I have one that's worth a dollar and seventy three cents. Yeah. Uh, so in your face. You Single can stock. Have one stick of chewing gum. <laughs> yeah. uh, so he also asked, um, "Who has the best beard?" You do. I do. Yeah. Do you want to know why? Because I don't have stupid, fucking, perfect dimples like a dickhead. <sighs> can you see them through the microphone? You can. I Hold on. I'm gonna put the microphone on my dimple for a second. Yeah, that was great. Right in my fucking dimple, just fucked the shit out of it. <laughs> it has like a little bit of an echo of a champion <laughs> in it. Disgusting. <laughs> How stupid. I hate him. Best and worst things in my life. I hate him too. I'm yeah, like, I why am I this guy's friends? <laughs> why are we even here? Um, here's kind of a a question I couldn't even. I was like, what? But it's simple. It's how many how many tattoos do you think we have between the two of us? Oh God, I don't know. Forty two. You fuck. Who asked that? <laughs> Your Jesus. I I'm I don't know. I'm gonna say just one big one. And when we get together, like ass to ass, two. When we connect the eye of Sauron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when we fucking dock, it's one fucking tattoo. You get the fuck out. Um. Bjorn, you know better. I'm gonna fucking skull fuck you for that one. But honestly, I think like probably like. 40 yeah, yeah. somewhere yeah. and i also like worked on some of these in sections so yeah. they they were done in three parts but they're one yeah but they're like three tattoos yeah sure 30 yeah <laughs> rule of 10 um but he had a couple of good ones so i'm just yeah, gonna he, keep he's, going he's good um if you could train only one movement for the rest of your life which would it be log press clean and press Feels good. Yeah. And if I had to choose, yeah, yep. If I had to choose one, I'll be strong, Manny, and say that if I can train one movement for the rest of my life, it would be log, clean, and press. Because mm. it's ground to overhead, and I don't think anything defines strength more than that. And I'm going to say more than deadlift. And I even think longevity factor. Yeah. You know, um, I think I, I'll be able to log, clean, and press, at least hopefully for the most part, for the rest of my life deadlifting squatting even benching to one extent you know and you can have so many variations of it push jerk split jerk strict press you can clean only you know yeah so a lot of clean and press i would say is probably and i've always said that about strongman when you pick a weight up from the floor and press it overhead that's strength what about a movement that uh maybe you can't do 
Is there a movement that maybe you can't do that? You would be like, if I could do that, one thing. Mm, maybe, uh, and I would say a barbell power clean, or a bar, or even again, I'd say barbell barbell clean and jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also not a lot of movements I can't do. So mm-hmm. maybe a snatch, but nobody wants to do that shit. But I'm an athlete. <laughs> I'm also working on the snatch, so I'm kind of fucking mad at it. So whatever. But look at me. Yeah, look you at know? you. CrossFit so Danny, thank you so much. I look like a like an athlete. <laughs> but if I, I don't think there's many, and I don't mean to be a dick. I mean like for the most, for the most part, in barbell movements and strongman, there's not a single thing I can't do. Mm. Um, throwing would be cool, but that's not something I'd want to do the rest of my life. You know, yeah. I wish I can shot put, but I don't see myself doing that every day, and there's, there's no strength benefit to it. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. I like that. Um, for me, I think it's it's squatting. Yeah, I I especially because of my height and my frame and the way I'm able to squat. It really yeah. that's the one for me that I always feel most proud of. Right, it, that's a great fucking movement. Yeah, I'm just. You know, the way my knees work. <laughs> <laughs> Wake up, bitch. You're almost 40. Yeah, no. Fuck uh, you. Come on. 40s. And my blood pressure. Chill, bro. 10-year <laughs> anniversary. You're dying soon. Yeah, thanks, bro. Thank you. All right, so we, he's got two more for us. Um, first of all, fuck off to this question. <laughs> but he goes, why do we insist on... And this is like the most, hey, I'm European insult of ever. Of course. He's, why do you both persist on drinking pish oh whiskey yeah wow he would say that um i don't know i like blue collar stuff i don't know if i can drink the urine of the gods i don't know what they drink in england you can't even trust them i don't know (laughs) we beat you in the war guy yeah okay take that nerd i'm about to drink your tears (laughs) um honestly i just like like i it's a good question i love drinking questions um i'm always going to be a scumbag yeah you know, I know where I came from. Jameson and PBRs till I die or until I get really bad gastritis, like now. Um, but, of course, I enjoy, like, a Lafroig and a Lavagulin and a Lagavulin and, you know, uh, Forrester's 12 and 20. And, you know, when I feel like I have my pinky out and I want to hurt my bank account, I'll probably buy something that, you know, you're afraid of. But for the most part, when I can get a double Jameson at a bar for 8 bucks and a PBR, Ugh. suck my dick. Like, I'm going to have that every day of the week, bro. And play pool with scummy friends? Get out of here. <laughs> And also, on those things, I have never regretted a blackout <laughs> like I have with fucking uh, Jaeger. Oh, right? fireball. Say bro. Jaeger to anyone in a yeah. room, or and the reaction slogger. is the like, fucking who, same. Yeah, exactly. They're, nah. like, They're like, oh, I don't, I don't really black out on uh, McCallum's 12. I'm like, well, I don't know. I wasn't born as a lord and a lady and a duke to fucking Wellington. Where the fuck is Fucking it? idiot. I wasn't from York, okay? <laughs> So I'm going to drink piss. You fucked, my lord. <laughs> That's a good question. I know he's doing that to be a dick, too. Um, I don't know if this is supposed to be a question for me or for both of us. How would you say your life in lifting and coaching has changed since starting a family? Oh, you have yeah. dogs. Yeah. That's family-ish. I think both, that's a good valid question for both of us. Um, I, mean, <laughs> I would say that there's a... There's an innate difference because I would con- I'm going to expand on the fact of family. I'm not going to discredit you know my girlfriend and the dogs, but eventually I've developed a relationship with people that I would consider family, and that has completely changed my perspective on longevity or what I am. When I was younger, being an athlete was a singular purpose, selfish and driven, and I can sacrifice time with anyone at any time for anything. I wouldn't go to birthdays. Or I wouldn't go eat. I didn't care. As I built a relationship with not only my personal family but my friends and my loved ones, I ended up... Uh, and being identified as a better, I felt better coaching, you know, spiritually, if that yeah. makes sense. 
and that the selfishness of the athleticism, even though it's still very much there and that wolf is there, um, it would sometimes pale into comparison to go see somebody compete or share a birthday. And it's something, it's just called getting older. You know, it's not that I value one more than the other, is that one became much louder when the volume was turned up on coaching and being able to manage my personal life and being able to say yes and actually go have dinner with people and not drink than seven years ago where I completely had to exclude myself from that because I didn't have the self-control. I was just this wild animal. Um, and you kind of have to be sometimes. So that my life has changed. You know, obviously responsibility, like I am the breadwinner in my home and I help my family and I help my mother. And if I get hurt or if I die from being a piece of shit, uh, things will be impacted, but also people actually give a shit about me. And that's a very weird concept to me. I do have to take care of myself. It's not like anyone sees me coming out of fucking surgery with a tendon rupture. Yeah. Nobody wants to see. It hurts them. And more than me, I'm like, oh, I'll be fine. They're like, damn, bro, really? I'm like, I mean, yeah, I'm on oxy right now, so life is pretty <laughs> cool. But these things have changed. Not so much the courage for the sport, but the perspective of longevity and the sense of like being proud of what I'm doing has kind of changed because of that. Sure. Yeah. I think for me, um, uh, the life balance is uh, understanding that everything comes with way more sacrifice now. Sure. Everything that I do uh, has exponentially more sacrifice. If I train, I lose more family time. If I do more family time, I lose more training. Uh, if I if I lock in and I'm in prep for a comp, I lose friend time, right? Right. And I'm always, always doing this juggling act of prioritizing what I can when I can. Um. But I've really enjoyed the challenge of trying to keep everybody happy. Right. Um, but it's definitely changed me a lot as a person. I uh, was very much a survivalist. So yeah. <laughs> when you were like, hey, you want to do X, Y, and Z? If like you, I didn't want to do it, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. what? Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> Your birthday? Yeah. What about my birthday from last year? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like uh, six years ago. But now... <laughs> Some people miss that. Sorry. Well, oh, whatever. Not what nobody remembers that. Just 2016. Some of us. I remember who missed my birthday. Whatever. <laughs> Pepperidge Fabs remembers. Yeah, always. Um, yeah. So uh, that's kind of, I, I've grown a lot from it just because I have to. I mean, yeah. You fucking have you to. You fucking like, have to, dude. Just, I want to be a piece of shit yeah. and play Xbox for 13 hours. Get out of here, kid. I'm in the middle of fucking <laughs> squatting. Pow. No, that's my child. <laughs> Dude, she did you yeah, see the video it. of her doing the little lift the other I'm day? I'm not gonna talk about kids, man. She did like a fucking Lolo Michael's too beautiful right now, and I don't want to talk she about She picked her. off the floor with chest up and at the top she went <laughs> Bro, I went How did she? How was she that? was like Oh Bro, I fucking like you. Did you cry? Boohoo cried. <laughs> like and I work on the phone, so I had to put like a customer on hold, and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. like, and she's like, eat it, dad, you fucking nerd. Yeah. I knew you were gonna cry. <laughs> I knew you were gonna fucking cry. I'm gonna cry again, pussy. Yeah, you gotta give me some fucking sandwiches, man. That's Lola Michael, dog. Uh, she's a savage, bro. She's, she's a killer. Best. Yeah, killer. yeah. She'll... I knew you were gonna struck an emotional chord with that. I'm like, yeah, I saw that oh, stupid so video. Stupid so kids. I should have reposted Lola Michael. <laughs> uh. So the Scott Weaves, Scott. Hey, love that guy. Yeah. The most dangerous man I, I know in the world, literally. Literally. He wants to know who's the greatest strong man of all time. Ah, uh, Big Z. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he holds the most records, has also the, it speaks of his longevity in the sport, 20 plus years, you know, I think it's 
five World Strongest Man titles, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, eight or nine Arnolds. The log press record has multiple records all over. A big house for many trophies, like very serious dude. This is my trophy house. Yeah, and, he, and I think there's something to be said besides longevity that he's taken his success outside of the sport. Mm. You know, if I'm not mistaken, he's been into politics. He owns businesses all over Lithuania. He's changed the sport. He's helped a lot of people. He's brought people into the sport. I mean, relatively serious dude, but I don't think you can beat that. I mean, there's there's been other more athletic, stronger athletes, but... If you look at his career in an entirety, you're talking about 20 plus years of the sport Insane. and still going at the highest level at the highest level That's and still going obviously now in masters and stuff, but still squats fucking 500 plus pounds. You know, I'm like, come on, man. Like there's something to be said about that. That's my choice for best. Not my favorite, but the best. Yeah, I would agree. The thing is, I would say also in Lithuania, like you, if you're the strongest person, you be by default become the governor. Like, yeah, you win it by force. Like <laughs> yeah. I lifted this stone. This is my region now. Did he went out benching that guy? No, he's got it. Yeah, I got your farm now and the cows. <laughs> you know, I'm taking your vehicles. That's fucking great. That'd be sick. Um, so is that a kick kickaber kickaber Johnson? Tell us about your upcoming travel to Norway, Mike. Oh, Kiki, Kiki. Oh, okay. All right, I'm reading it like that now. Uh, upcoming travel to Norway, Mike, and what you're looking forward to the most. So I'm going to Pfeffer. This is Pfeffer Strength Competition um, that Kiki's putting on there. It's a massive strength competition in the mountains of Pfeffer, Norway. Um, strong man, Highland Games, um, strong woman. There is Stones of Strength. Um, adaptive, all this uh, literally strength competitions invited all from all over the world. And I think one of the coolest things about it is that we wanted to be part of it in year one. Then COVID hit and stuff. And I think what I'm really looking forward to, I wanted to do the Highland Games, but my Achilles tendon is not being nice. So I probably will just enjoy it. But to be able to compete <laughs> in Norway or to be in Norway and something else in the country, doing something that you love with people that you like. Eddie Cohen is going, you know, the guys from church, Nick and Tomer are going. Mm-hmm. I always said I was going to go to that fucking country, and now I am. And I'm going, and I hate to say this, I don't mean to sound cocky, but I'm going as a somebody. And that means a lot to me. You know, we grew up poor. And to land in another country as a somebody, mm-hmm. ah, Papa, that's the best gift in the world. You're not just taking a trip. Like, they want you there. They're like, oh, my gosh, thank you. I'm sponsoring the the female strongman competition with shirts and stuff. And I'm like, man, that makes me so proud. It makes me emotional because I'm almost 40 and I'm like living this dream. I said it. I said I was going to go to these fucking Viking countries and I'm going to Norway and I'm looking forward to watching the strength in the fucking mountains. Like, cool, man. Like, literally sitting next to Eddie Cohen shooting the shit, probably having him trying to choke me out, that fucking hobbit. Yeah, bro. He's, a he's such a Ooh. savage, bro. He's he's like a total He's like, bro. here, test my grip. I'm from Chicago. And he's, you know, he grabs your hand. I'm like, okay, Eddie, like, you and your fucking Colossus hands hurt. I'm going to fight him. I think I'm going to fight him. I tell that story all the time. <laughs> the first time I shook his hand and he was like, hey, John, nice to meet you. And he grabbed. <laughs> How does he talk? Wait, hey, John, nice to meet you. Hey. But anyways, that fucking accent. So he, like, shortchanged my grip. And he, like, did this with his hands and, like, caught the inside of my hand. And I could feel the bone in my hand flexing <laughs> from his grip. And he's like, good handshake, right, John? Yeah, I'm and like, I'm like mm, he's like, go ahead, go ahead. I'm like, God, you 1920s, you know, mobster from Chicago. <laughs> yeah, seriously. But um, 
can you imagine just sitting there fucking watching your friends compete? And that's just, I'm really looking forward to it. Next I think to I, the GOAT. Yeah. And again, shout out to people that put on shows, man. You're taking a fucking big risk putting on a nine, six to nine day event with multiple, you know, disciplines. So I'm, aside from going there as like on a personal level. Yeah. How amazing is that to see that? Yeah. In fucking Norway. Like, come on, man. It's a three hour train ride from Oslo to Pfeffer in the mountains. Come on, bro. And to go there with like, yeah, I'm just looking forward to all that aspects of it. That's the dream. That's the dream right there. Um, Reba asks, I thought this one was kind of important to address. Have you come, have you come across any bullying in the strength community? And how has your experience in adversity changed the narrative to impact others? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean... Strength sports is filled with both compassionate, amazing people and also a bunch of little dick syndromes and daddy issues that come out and you just beat up people. But that's that's in all aspects of life. Mm-hmm. You know, the only difference is that in strength sports, you can't set, fucking settle in the ring like fucking warriors. You kind of have to dance around with all this pa- passive aggressive bullshit. Um, but that's, that's, that's what you see a lot. But that's not indicative of the sport. That's just humanity in, in general for thousands of years. Right. Um, I think bullying can come from a many concepts. A, sometimes when you let it happen. B, sometimes when you let it should happen. And, you know, you have to let things play out. You have to take the higher road. Again, 10 years ago, you could just fist fight nobody. You know, you don't have anything to lose. And as you get older in the sport and you put more skin in the game financially, physically, emotionally, you can't just solve things the way you want to. You have to solve things the way you should. And typically that takes eating your shit sandwich, swallowing your pride, and letting your success speak for itself. If you are going to fight every single battle with fire, you're only burning your own sails. And that's what I found out in my personal life because I am full of fire. And I have to kind of wean myself off and talk to my friends and family. Um, But the only way to really adhere to success for the most part, and I'm not saying be a pussy, catch these motherfuckers on the side, do what you got to do. But for the most part, the more successful you are, the easier you'll focus on yourself and the less you will lose time, money, and emotional capacity wasting your time on that stuff. But changing the narrative is change your perspective. And typically it's change the perspective on yourself. Are you really being bullied and bothered if you want to follow the stoic route? Who is this person to you and the significance of it? And if I, I've been on I've been on the bullying side before and I've been bullied myself and I've been pissed off and I've made mistakes. So you know, it's really about changing the perspective on yourself mm-hmm. and what you're going to do with the tools that have been given to you in this moment. And typically, if you just focus on yourself and repairing, especially if you haven't done anything wrong, you know, if you've done something wrong, apologize. But if you got to really focus on yourself, just do that and move forward. And that, I think, is in every aspect of life. You know, sometimes you're going to have to beat up that bully, but for the most part, that bully's never going to stop being a bully. You can beat him into the floor. They'll find somebody else. You may no change and you won't feel better in the long run. You injure yourself. You'll damage your reputation. You'll damage your business. And then what? So in the long run, it's just like being successful is the best fist fight. Please understand that. I love violence, but <laughs> that doesn't work as well anymore. And the shitty part is, is a lot of times people only see the reaction. Right. And there's, they're going to see the outside of it. And now you look like a dumbass. Right. Almost always. Almost always. You're going to be like, oh, you shouldn't have punched them in the throat. I'm like, no. Yeah. You know how long he's had that punch coming? Yeah, but here we are. Uh, So Bearded Panda, for you specifically, 
you mentioned you take the business and relationships personal. Do you see this as a strength or weakness? Uh, both. You cannot be strong unless you've admitted that you're weak. And unfortunately, I'm Hispanic, and I take a lot of things personally. But that doesn't mean I execute it per with emotion. I think taking things personally sometimes allows me to view it from a perspective of emotion and then attack it with a perspective of logic. And that's where I found a lot of success and not <laughs> killing myself with work and perspective. Um, I wish it wasn't so. I wish I didn't get personally involved and I wish I didn't take things so personally. I don't always do. Obviously, some things, things are just business. Um, but I think, you know, being passionate and loving something and being genuine with people will adhere yourself to a personal reaction. Um, but then it's what do I do with that reaction? Do I respond to it? Do I, you know, dissect it? And typically sometimes my emotions are initially personal and, you know, sensitive to that concept. And then I'll take emotion, like logic and solve it. And I think that creates a kind of good funneling system into being successful. And I think we can do that in all aspects, friendly stuff. Like when your friend pisses you off, your initial reaction is emotional. Then you look at that logically and you're like, am I really being mad about this? And then when I execute the conversation, I've put a little bit more of a funneling system, of a filtering system going through these kind of stages. And that's helped me a lot. So it's definitely a strength and a weakness. But again, you have to be weak at first if you're going to get strong. And I continue to pursue it that way. Sheesh. <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Any yeah. questions on the live? No, not yet. I want to scroll through some of these people. These people. Look at this guy. All right. While you do that, um, Lance, our buddy Lance, Zero Dark 30. Oh, nice. Uh, what does it mean to you to leave a legacy of strength for others? <laughs> this is one of those questions that we were just talking about, like listening to praise. Yeah. And I kind of throw up in my mouth. But Lance is a good man. I know this comes from a good place. Um, leaving a legacy of strength must come first from a place of selfishness. I would be lying if I said that I was doing it for everyone only. Um, I'm doing it for myself too. And I think a lot of people need to admit that. I think legacy is also being strong enough to put yourself in the front of this. Meaning I would like to be remembered or in a certain way and take care of myself enough to let this legacy ride. Um, but for the most part, it is an act of selflessness. I want people to feel the same way I feel about the pursuit of strength. Now, you're never going to be strong enough and there's going to be moments in your life where you're absolutely weak and you're broken. But it's the pursuit of strength that I love. I'm never going to be strong enough. And just when I get strong enough, something happens always, whether it's physical or emotional or physically. And everyone's like, man, Mike, you can't catch a break. I'm like, I don't want a fucking break. Like, I don't want a fucking break. Breaks are for fucking pussies. I have to view it that way. That's my perception. It doesn't mean I don't cry myself to sleep. I cried all fucking day when I ruptured my tendon in half and I ruined another fucking year of strong man. And I got depressed. And then my friends die. And then I'm fucking beat up to death. And I'm like, <sighs> And they're like, oh, you can't catch a break. Like, I'm not the one that's dead. Mm. I'm the one that's here that has to pursue strength. And I want people to be remembered that that's what they're in it in the first place. You're never going to be strong enough. And the moment you deadlift 700, you're going to want 750. And when you do an 800-pound yoke, you want 1,000. And when you squat 215, you want 400. Mm -hmm. That's life. As soon as you're making six figures, you want seven figures. When you get a fucking new watch, you want five new watches. It's the pursuit that defines us. And I want people to, that legacy to be that same way, that same tenacity to pursue things. 
that's what I want the legacy to be remembered. I, I know people are not going to remember my numbers. They don't know any of my fucking numbers. Only I do. Mm-hmm. They're in my brain tattooed because that's what pushes me sometimes. I still remember that. But the pursuit, I want people to go home with that. And I want that to be kind of passed down, that you're never going to stop pursuing strength. And that transcends into life. And that's the legacy I would like to be remembered for. Because I'd be lying to you if I said I didn't want to be remembered for that. Um, but I want others to feel that way. And then that becomes like a trickle-down effect. I'm not saying, you know, that strength isn't amazing. And there's not going to be moments in time where you feel unbreakable. But it's coming. And you have to get back on that bike. And it's that pursuit that, to me, is addicting. And that's how I have to see it. That's why I'll stay broken sometimes. But not for long. I just can't. It's my perspective. It's how you pursue things. And that's kind of something I want to be remembered for. Which is has nothing to do with my physical strength, it feels like, but because of it. You know. Right. That makes sense. Jesse uh, asks, can you have it all or does something have to give? All varies, but a balance of life, work, health, goals, personal relations, relationships, and training. <laughs> it's the B word. Uh I don't like the word balance. I hate saying it. And I hate myself for not believing in balance, but I believe things are seasonal. I think life shows us that things are seasonal from winter and falls to um, animals and, you know, mating seasons and changes in the weather and changes in our mindset. I think nature in, in itself says that there is not necessarily a balance, but there is a season of things. And I came across this when I was doing the mentorship. I was in conversation with my fellow guys and they're like, Mike, how do you train for things? And it just came to me. Um, things are seasons. There are seasons to build business. There are seasons to build relationships. There are seasons to make money. There are seasons to take care of yourself. There are seasons to waste money and vacation and rest. When something's volume turns up, like our microphones, you have to turn the other ones down to be heard. If the four microphones in this room were all at full volume, we wouldn't be putting on a good show. So we put it on the voices that matter. And there is times for that. There are times where you have to focus even on the shit, even on the things that you really don't want to do. Now is not the time for me personally to be pursuing a physical endeavor. I want to be so athletic, so bad, John, and I want to be back at where I was. It's not the time. The time is to rebuild and focus on other things. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe that maybe in its encompassing view there is a balance, right? Because if you look look at the earth and nature and us objectively, it seems like this well-oiled machine, but that's it's fundamentally fueled by chaos. From volcanoes to seasons to death to nature to evolution to decomposition. Like these are chaotic things and relatively absent of morality. And there's gonna be times in your life where objectively there will be a balance, but it's a pursuit of these seasonal tasks, whether it's emotional, physical, monetary, spiritually, that they take time. So if I focus on business, the first two, three months, that's my business season. So what gets turned on in my life? Well, hanging out with friends, wasting money, training, the volume has to be turned down. When I was getting ready for Florida's Strongest Man, that was my season. It was selfish. I was going out less. I was focused on food. I was going to bed at eight o'clock. I was up at four. That is not the time to build friendships. I'm not friendly. I'm driven. And then things come in season. Sometimes there's time to spend time with your loved ones. I like to do it now. I used to hate the holidays because they made me feel angry. But now is the time. 
that would be a time or a week, whether it's a day or two, to identify these concepts because it forced me to be that person. It forced me to take that season to buy an extra grip for somebody that I normally fucking hate doing. And I'm like, I love that now because I saw it as a season to heal. And, you know, and I look back at ancient cultures and I look back at history. There were seasons of war and there were seasons to recover and rebuild. Mm-hmm. So if we've been doing it ancestrally and historically for our entire lives, both for nature, military, history, sociological, psychologically, how else can we deny it and why not we not apply it to what we do right now in our lives? And that's how I see the concept of balance from a large out of space perspective. There is balance driven by the continuous seasons of chaotic movements in a particular fashion or forward direction. And there is no such thing as an esoteric, uh, esoteric balance. Instead, there are these give and takes that you have to understand that the ship moves forward to the ebb and flow of the waves, the ups and the downs, the storms and the, the calm seas. And sometimes you got to take those oars and go. And sometimes you got to ride the wave. So if nature is telling you in the face all the time, you know, you think it's important to communicate this way and to tell your partner, to tell your friends that this is how you live your life. And maybe if you're in the season of recovering and regrouping and rebuilding, then maybe they should be understanding that this may not be the time that they're going to put effort into you, not because out of thoughtlessness or or just a vendetta against them, but because you need to repair yourself. And if you're building business, maybe this is not the time to take a multi-thousand dollar vacation. This is the time that you want to really focus on putting food on the table and that it's not against them. It's for them. And that's kind of how I see <laughs> the value of quote unquote balance. <laughs> the fuck? I don't know what it was, man. Maybe when I don't drink so much, I feel great, bro. No, you know? relax. <laughs> we are sponsored by Jameson, that mm-hmm. piss water. <laughs> they don't even like our tags. Pricks. <laughs> Maybe they are pish. Yeah, maybe they are. There are pish, though. Yeah, there are stuff. Yeah. Better be listening. Spread the word. <laughs> um, let's see. So nothing on the live, no questions, right? No, they're just chilling. Yeah, there's no questions on the live, which is great. They're just listening to me talk rambling because sometimes I'll add some good stuff in there. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we'll jump into some of Austin's stuff. Nice. I'm already tired. Because <laughs> it's so specific. Yeah, he he's fucking, so smart. Yeah, it's wicked smart. That's what he's doing. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go easy. Uh, if you could take a four-person team into a real-life battle royale, <laughs> who would they be and why, and you do not get to include Scott? Okay. First of all, you need to stop watching so much anime, dog. From one friend to the next. Okay. Nah, I'm just kidding. Do you? Yeah, alive or dead would have been a more specific question. Okay. Um, Battle Royale, are we including swords? Are we including guns, weapons? It's modern times. Modern times and modern people? Yeah. I can't include Scott Weaver? You can't. No. He's off limits. (sighs) Shit. Um... I don't know, man. This is a tough question because now when I invite kind certain of a bullshit pe- question, yeah, because when I say certain people, people people are going to be mad at me. Like, oh, oh yeah. why you exclude me? Um, uh, I don't. I'm not going to answer. I don't know how to say that. I don't know how to answer that question. It's the first question. I don't know. I would have. You know what? I'll make it more fun. And let's include people in time. I'm going to include Alexander the Great, Genghis Khan, and Napoleon Bonaparte because I need two actual warriors and then a strategic person. And then we'll, I think we'll solve enough issues. I think I can teach Alexander the Great how to use a fucking 
AR-15 with the come pingas down at fucking Harry's out of these fat Cuban guys shooting at targets from 40 miles away that literally have high blood pressure when they wake up. I think Alexander the Great and Genghis Khan are going to be fine shooting off when they're shooting the fucking arrows off a horse in the middle of a desert thunderstorm. So I'm going to add a little bit of spice to your question, Austin. I'm going to use people in time. So Those are fucking like... I'm going to pick the best of the best. Like The thing that sucks is like... You're it's those guys and then you. <laughs> and then, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> I show up, they're like, Who's that guy in the back? I'm like, Hey guys, it's me. Uh, my name's Mike. I'm the one that chose I, this team. I picked you guys. I'm the coach. <laughs> I think they'll just kill me. But like who's that guy's gonna wear my flesh. Like Jenga's gun's literally gonna kill me, dude. You'd make a sick skin suit though. Yeah, thanks, yeah. man. With yeah, the no tattoos. Problem. Yeah, best. And bro, if you think about it, right? Like Napoleon's super small. That'd be like a fucking bear skin. Yeah. And it just where my teeth, I put my gold teeth on his yeah. head. You're, this is why we make the big bucks on this show. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Our cash apps at the end. Um, Jesus. Headphone this shit. You're not even drunk this time. I know, man. Bumped <laughs> into the microphone four times. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. There's, you know what? This is the problem with this is yeah. we're never really going to get to everyone's questions. No, you're right. But we did get a lot. Sorry, guys. What yeah. it is. Is how do I want to do this? Mm. Okay, uh, this is a two-person question. Mm. What was your most profound why five years ago, mm. and what do you consider your most profound why today, and how would you compare them? <sighs> Damn, who did that one? Austin. Good man. Um, well, I've been always open about this, and exactly five years ago in a few months. Um, well, like I said, I lost my best friend to suicide. Um, I hurt my spine that year. 2017 was a very real realization that uh, mortality is real. Uh, keeping in contact with people is more important sometimes than assuming people will last forever. And nothing adhered to my soul more than everything ends in 2017. That solidified a concept inside of me. And I was just talking about this recently, that the purpose of my why became something bigger than myself. Because till then, I was very selfishly driven athletically. And eventually, when my body started to betray me, and I realized that I had to be something more than that, and that I always was this person. I just needed to find other avenues to cultivate, develop, and to sharpen that sword. My why after that year became something more than myself, my lifters, my gym, my legacy, the culture, um, something outside my self-doubt and self-hatred and something more than to considering myself a bad guy or a scumbag despite the fact that those things don't leave, that I decided to use those shortcomings as a way to attract people and push them forward. Um, like we said before, with what we think we don't have or we think we are not is something sometimes typically the biggest driver for most people other than not quitting. I realized that year that it wasn't necessarily my numbers or who I was, but it wasn't. It was the fact that I didn't give up on things that I love. That was the biggest thing. Um, <laughs> five years later, that has not changed. There's no the why is only a bit cemented harder because of the same reasons. Um, this year has been hard, I think, on both of us and many people because of loss. I think loss, death, and those concepts of losing things and people that you love in any capacity, whether it's physically and emotionally are one of the hardest, most significant lessons in your life. That they should push you forward because sometimes in those gutters and those trenches and you think you're going to be in this moment for the rest of your entire life is when you really find what you're really made of. 
and this year has already been that and we're only six seven months in and it's i said to somebody i said this year is as bad or in its own capacity as 2017 and i quickly corrected myself i said it's not that it's that bad it's that i'm that lucky that i'm still going and you know it's like i said when i finished when i said earlier i'm the one still above ground man like you know i'm not the one six feet under or ashes somewhere in some ocean that gift is my why i don't know how long i'll have i've had some health scares and you're getting older your friends are getting older things are happening and it only adheres to the fact that this is going to make me love that much more significantly it's going to even the mistakes that i'm making i'm present for when i'm making bad decisions I realize that these are the mistakes I'm going to learn from and become better for. Or if I'm going to become worse, then I'm going to become genuinely worse and become better eventually from it. I'm not going to lie to myself. My why continues to be that, that everything does end. But sometimes not now. And I use that. And I use that. And that gets me out of bed when I don't feel like moving. And it it gets me moving forward when my momentum has been stumbling back and sideways and I keep self-sabotaging so much and I wish I wasn't that fucking person, you know, but I am. It doesn't mean I can't change. It doesn't mean I can't become better. It's like, what am I going to do with it right now? Where am I going to go with it? And sometimes I wake up, John, and when I'm putting a bottle in my mouth and I'm like, it's not that I'm a fucking alcoholic, it's that I'm self-destructive. And if it's not the bottle, it's sport. If it's not sport, it's food. If it's not food, it's my mind. If it's not my mind, it's money. There's always going to be that aspect knocking on my fucking door. But what am I doing with it? My why has become that, hey, man, I'm going to show you that this is what I do with it. And sometimes if one person just says, hey, man, I saw what you did, that that's enough to save my life for one more day. So I'm going to repay it back because somebody did it to me a long time ago. So my why then and my why now remain the same. They've just been cemented a little bit harder through harder experiences and loss. And I take that value and I invest it in myself. It's like these gold coins that life has struck upon my eyes like if I was on that fucking river sticks. And nothing has changed in that aspect. If anything, after 2017 and this year, five years later, I think I'm right. And that means a lot to me where I'm always picking myself apart for that a little over five years ago i lost probably the greatest man i've ever known my stepfather a man who took a chance on a kid he didn't know and he gave him a place to live and he taught him about family and friendship and leadership how to make six meals out of what should be for only (laughs) one. And after losing him, my focus was very driven on getting myself back. I had really, really went off the path. I had experienced a lot of death up until that point, but I had not been impacted by death that heavily. Like so, uh, I guess receptive to it this time mm. normally it was just like all right we'll tie up your boots you have to go and in this moment i couldn't it wasn't that simple and so five years ago my work was innately focused on me how am i going to get back to feeling normal mm. right i want to 
not have to give myself commands about getting out of bed every day. <laughs> like, come on, man. Yeah, like you have to tell yourself to brush your teeth. You want to get that third wheel off your life. Bro. Yeah, you know. And uh, it was it was a body of work, and it's something that I still continue to work at every day. Obviously, the big change for me is uh, you know my relationship with my wife. Um, without that body of work, I could not be the husband that I am to my wife. I had to get there to be able to have a relationship with someone like her. I had to be there. Now, um, my everything is about them. I am dead last in terms of priorities. Uh, and it's a really good feeling. That's... I like that you put that like that. <laughs> you know, it's it's a gift, right? Mm. It's, just, it's something we say all the time. But to be able to be who they're looking to for food and money and laughter and leadership, they cry, uh, they get mad at. All of these things are focused on me now, and that's the best part of it. Right. It all falls in my lap. And I think the difference now is that I'm ready. And it's interesting because <laughs> it's funny how these questions always fall into like a five, 10 year thing. Mm -hmm. And I used to always think that there's going to come a time where every five years I find something new. But sometimes I think there's something to be said when you're five years later and it's still the same why. It's just been more cemented in your balls. Yeah. You know, and I think that, uh, you know, things change slower when you're older. But because I believe that life throws you moments of impact. You know, when you're in your 20s and your teens, and I'm not saying I'm fucking old. I'm just saying I've, I've lived a life. Yeah. One year to the next, it's like 97 new friends, you know, 14 different experiences, a trip to the hospital, a heartbreak. You know, five years later in your 30s and 40s and 50s might just mean that you're on the right track. And it's okay to be like, you know, my why hasn't changed. It hasn't yeah. changed at all. It's just actually been adhered to by external sources. Yeah. And that, that's something to be said. I think that... Um this conversation, I guess, really stuck with Austin because we touched on it before right. and he asked it again. He, he, he did another two-part question, one for you, one for me. But since we're in that area and this is what we do, <laughs> cool. loss is very personal and handled very differently from individual to individual. But if you were given the opportunity to communicate for an hour with someone you have lost... Who would it be and what would you tell them? Fuck. I was, okay, so if I can communicate with anyone for one hour of somebody that I've lost, um, well, I, 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 I saw this question briefly and I wanted to think about it, but I stopped myself. Um, initially, obviously, it's going to be bake. Um, I wish I could change that answer, but it's not so much who he was. It was the significance of what he left that I need to kind of like punch him in the face. <laughs> you know, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't mad. Um, you know, maybe in five years or 10 years, it might be another person, you know, not to be so morbid. It can be somebody much closer. Yeah. But I believe that that was the first major loss you know, even though I've lost family before, but the way it went down, that really kind of like completely changed my life. Yeah. And 
if I can sit down in one hour and just show him the body of work that he left behind, and sometimes I don't even know if I'd say it in a nice way. Like, look what you fucking did. And I wish I can tell you that for the first 10, 15 minutes, we'd probably fight, knowing me and him, in a good way, like men. But to tell him, like, look what you did. And look what you left, you know. You left me and so many people absolutely shattered. And despite the odds, look what we did. And look what, look what I did. And I wish you could be here in a different light. And I think we can all say that to certain people. But to lose somebody you love with rage, it's a sickness. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't go away to be angry at them. It, it doesn't. You know, I told people sometimes, I told somebody recently, like these tools, this anger and regret, it's a, it's a tool. And the anger I have towards him and how it went has produced the most successful five years of my entire life. Not that I don't love him, not that I don't miss him. And I don't know if I'll hopefully I never lose anyone like that in that format again. Mm. But if I can sit down with one hour, dude, the first 15 minutes, I'm like, look, motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I'm sure we'll laugh 45 minutes after that. Sure. Um, but those things don't leave you. Um, and I... I, I would answer that question too that there's certain people that have left me in life that are still alive that I wish I could speak with. I wish I could sit them down in a room and be like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, put on the gloves, let's solve it, let's talk. But losing somebody at that capacity and having the anger to bring them back and to sit down and to absolutely <laughs> lay into them and be like, hey, look what we did despite what you did. And I hope, I hope that it hurts you a little bit as much as you hurt me. That's honesty. Mm-hmm. It's selfish and it's petty, but it's real. Yeah. That would be the beginning of the discussion. And um, I wish it wasn't like that, John. I wish I can tell you that I can bring him back and have a fucking cup of coffee and laugh and have a couple of beers. But the first, I think the first little bit would be like, you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you broke me and you broke us. And look what we built on the ashes. You know. I picture that in my head going, uh, what is it? Uh, what's the one with Scrooge? The Christmas story? Uh, uh, Christmas, Christmas childhood. Carol? I don't remember fucking anything. Yeah. Anyways, so you know, like the past, present go, yeah. goes like, I feel like it goes like, look what you fucking did. And right. it's the room of people crying. Right. And then it's like, look what you fucking did. And then it's like the room of people picking themselves up. Right. And, and then, then the look what happy. you fucking did. And it's the 10 year party. Yeah. 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 Right? Oh, wow. That's awesome. Yeah, and, and um, man, yeah, you yeah. know, I, 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 I definitely think that 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 moment single handedly cemented the the momentum we are now. I don't know if, and I said it recently too, is like literally the worst thing ever, one of the worst things ever, and the best things came from it. I mean, that is life. There is no balance. There is there. That's a execution of chaos and what you do with it. You know, and that's what you do with life. Life is going to kick you right in your fucking dick. And then you're supposed to grow something from fucking dirt. So. Um, I'm going to take a quick moment to get a little heavy. Because I, I have thought about this, uh, especially when I asked it um, on the episode where we talked about it. But the obvious, I think most people would think that I would want to speak to my stepfather. And I, I would say that that is not the case. Um. I think that we've had enough conversations in our lifetime that he knows where I am at now and he he's well aware. The person I would sit with 
would be my mom. Mm. And uh, the things that I would say to her, the most important thing I would say to her is I'm sorry. I'm sorry I forgot you. Mm. I'm sorry I can't remember you anymore. And that I can't, like, I don't, I, I don't remember your laugh or your, the way you smelled or I can't even remember a hug. I don't know what anything, anything like that feels. And when you lose like a mother's hug, mm. it changes you forever. Um, but I would tell her how deeply sorry I was because I didn't know the permanency of what I was going through. And foolishly, I was taught that my silence was strength. But it was because nobody was teaching me there's another way. What you're feeling is normal. And you can be as sad and upset for as long as you fucking want. So I think that that's what I would do. I would say, I would say that briefly, and then I would spend the next... 40 minutes getting that fucking hug. <laughs> that's so fucking beautiful. I think that's how I would go 40 for minutes of that shit. And hearing her laugh. Yeah. And it, uh, it's a heavy question because uh, we like heavy questions around here. God damn it. Wow. And um, some would say more weight. <laughs> yeah, I want it that way. You know, and um, I think the, the reason why a lot of times we get there is because i view these sessions like a training session to me and we have our warm-ups we have our activations we have our speeches we we get warmed up you know the show starts with a lot of blah blah blah, blah we're getting after it and then suddenly it hits a pace and you know when it gets towards the end of the show and you know a lot of things are said that really have impact just like you're on your last set and you have your favorite song on and you're feeling these moments in time that just start to kind of drift into your mouth and your consciousness and you just start saying things. You start lifting a certain way. And the show gets here because uh, indicative of training, you know, we've done this long enough to understand that every lift could be the last lift. And I always kind of take it into this. Every podcast could be the last podcast because that's how I view life in this kind of morbid spider web of concepts. And a question like that typically kind of tips the scales in a certain direction because we wanted to tip the scale in that direction. It's almost like we want the weight of the question to bury us under this ability to feel something, if not for just a few minutes at a time. And often enough, when you're in a place of leadership or productivity or manhood, we drown ourselves in this stoic isolation, this cold castle of not feeling anything because every time we do, we derail ourselves. You know, life of ambition and swinging your dick sometimes becomes so linear that the things around us just start to kind of fade away and we lose perspective. And these questions of hardship and loss and emotion and death and injury, they ground us because that is the way home. That is the dig down. You know, I, I'm not saying that there is no value in being better. I just recently made a conversation about when we're in these dark moments um, that the body will search for an end. And I was talking to a good friend of mine. I was saying, when we're in these moments of darkness, it typically happens, something acutely will happen, whether it's a loss of life or a really drastic moment or a really big cry or some sort of rage feeling. Your body will search for an end. But the lesson you learn from there is the only way back up. And your body never stops wanting to climb. 
it, like the, it almost wants to devour these positive things that you do for yourself despite your self-sabotage your body will always gasp for air it would always search for the rest and i i look at these episodes and i love q a specifically because sometimes people ask a question that absolutely triggers something that i probably wouldn't ask for myself oh we were bringing it up in content because it's in a external source of questioning and you know today's episode you know despite the fact that most of the questions for the most part we answered something relatively specific and you know appropriate to sport and some things were you know light humored and then of course it just sounds so good that you we've kind of towards the end started asking something that really makes us dig deeper than what we started to show off as but that's life in general and yeah, there are moments in time and people that are alive and lost that I wish I could bring back. And there are moments in training and certain lifts and certain versions of myself that I wish I can sit down with. If I was to expand on that question a little bit more, versions of myself that I've killed off, if I can learn anything from them now or if they can see me where I was, you know, me five years ago, me 10 years ago, me last month and what they would be saying to me now, what I would, conversations I'd be having with myself when I was broken or less broken. And these questions never change for me. And I think as we kind of start to explore uh, the ability to hear what people have to say and people have to ask for us or from us, it really makes me proud that the questions vary from sports specificity to life to philosophy to loss because it makes me proud that we run a show or speak in a show that transcends sport. That was the whole point. And if you look back at our questionnaire, our first Q&A to now, you know, it was very sport specific and very few of these life questions. And now we're having more life questions than we are sports questions. And that's, you know, a credit to us, you and myself and the listeners that inspire us to be this way, but also the way life kind of eventually forces you to be. You know, a warrior back in the day was more than swinging the sword is the philosophy, the perspective and having strength in all these aspects. And I wish, um, like I said at the beginning, I wish things would get easier sometimes. Like, I, you know, you wish this. You know, you really do. I won't lie. Sometimes I wish it, despite the fact that I also wish of the obstacles and the, and the hardships. But if anything today and anything taught us and just kind of diving in deep into these few last questions is, what are we going to do with what we have? What are we going to do with the questions we answered today? What are we going to do with the questions that were actually asked of us and how are we going to perceive that? How are we going to get asked questions like, what do you do when you're hurt and injured and heartbroken and lost? What are we going to do with that information that we're giving? Are we going to live this life of hypocrisy and not use it as tools and barbells and changes? Or are we actually going to push forward into a concept that I think is more relatable, which is it's not always the concept of the strength that we have, but the strength that we pursue. That lifelong journey of consistently Tringing and pushing through just muck and mire and i say constantly because these things don't change i say words like visceral i say words like endurance and perseverance because these words sometimes are the only reasons why i get up in the fucking morning words like courage and why i have it tattooed on the side of my head is not because i always have it it's because i lack it so much that i have to literally bleed to find it and I don't know any other way. Sometimes my wounds of catharsis are so self-sabotaging that it's disgusting and I hate myself for it. But at the same time, the next day I wake up and I use that little bit of mud to add to my castle. And I hope that sometimes, despite the fact that I have been in so many ways failed, 
that in some ways I've grabbed that failure and have driven so far forward that that's the legacy I'd like to leave behind. And it's the legacy I'd like for the fucking show. That's the legacy I'd love for my co-host and my friends and my gym and my family. That the pursuit of strength is truly everything. And the fact that one day <laughs> the door will come knocking and things around you will rip asunder. But hopefully the castle wall that you have built with the actual flesh of your dying body is strong enough to shine forever. This is MDLP saying don't be a pussy. Everything ends. <laughs>